Game on the line, fourth and one on the goal line. What play are you running? There's only one correct answer, and that's because it is the highest percentage chance of getting one yard, and that's quarterback sneak. Quarterback sneaking it? It blows my mind how many teams do not run a quarterback sneak with one damn yard. What the f*** are you doing? It's a 92% chance. There's not a play in the playbook that has a higher percentage chance of working than quarterback sneak. Listen, we had to get away from it because our quarterback's kneecap was in the side of his side of his leg, okay? I was looking at it like, ah! What the f***? Somebody come get Pat. Let's go! The Football Frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The Football Frenzy. On Cofield and Company. Company. The Kelsey brothers from their podcast, Jason the Center. Of course a center is going to like the QB sneak because, you know, you're mostly or partially responsible. Quarterback's got to get it done too, but you're part of the team that's opening Starts up the with hole. You. Sure. Yep. And then Travis Kelsey talking about the fact that uh, Mahomes got wrecked on a quarterback sneak. It is a, it's a really interesting deal from team to team because, you know, forever the Chargers never used it because Phillip Rivers didn't like doing it. The Jets tried it yesterday to close out the game against the Packers and came up short because Zach Wilson weighs 114 pounds and uh, didn't leap, couldn't muscle his way in. Uh, and then there's guys like Josh Allen who, yeah, you're going to run Josh Allen or, of course, Tom Brady's been great at it for his entire career. Um, football frenzy's coming up. Yeah, the Philly thing right now is pretty nuts. I know you wanted to talk about New York. Frankly, New York with this start for football, I mean, I guess you know, the Yankees are still alive tonight. New York takes a back seat right now to Philly with all that's going on. I mean, the Eagles look like the best team in the NFC, and they kicked the crap out of the Cowboys in the first half. Uh, they wavered a little bit, and then down the stretch, they closed them out. The Phillies are hot as hell. I mean, that's one of the hottest commodities in all of sports. So, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm more of a New York area guy sports fan. I've never really been a Philly fan, and we can, for New Jersey people, if you want to come out to Twin Peaks, we can have a whole debate about Central Jersey, North Jersey, and South Jersey because uh, – all those areas have different rooting interests. I'll give you so yeah, the but Philly I did grow up around a lot of Philadelphia sports fans, not only as a Ute but also as a yeah. uh, college student. So I, I get I get the Philly market. My brother lives uh, like a block south of South Street, so I'm very in tune with how crazy those fans are. Okay, so here's the, here's here's the problem in in using the, in comparing that, in my opinion, with Philadelphia, the maniacs for the the fanatics. For the Phillies, they're in the NLCS. The Eagles, best team in football with the record, right? There's only one fan base for one each team. In New York, you got the Yankees, Mets, Rangers, Islanders, Jets, Giants. So you have six teams to cheer from. You got the Knicks, the Nets, right? So it's different in terms of the fanatic, but in terms of the success right now, it's they've got to be a happy city because of the fact that you have the Giants and Jets playing the way they are, the Yankees. We'll see if they get past the Guardians tonight. The Rangers are playing fantastic, and on some people's uh, boards, favored to they they have them winning the Eastern Conference. The Islanders, I'm not so sure about. Yeah. Basketball hasn't started, but as a whole, with New York City right now, I just think because the Giants and Jets weren't expected to do much, you right. there were a lot of people that predicted Philly to win, uh, um, the Eagles to win the MCs. Uh, but and now the entire state, you yeah. throw in you're, Buffalo. You're right. You're right. It's, um, it's, you know what? Um, well, that's a different one. <laughs> well, that's a different one, though. Okay. You, you, when you sent over, you sent over some notes today, and you're like, hey, New York's going crazy, and you put the Bills in the discussion. The Bills are not in the discussion for New York. Like, what? the state of New York and yeah. their region, mm-hmm. 
in northwest New York. Right. Like, it's big there. No one in New York City cares about the Bills. No one in northern New Jersey cares about the Bills. No one on Long Island or part of Connecticut cares about the Bills. Right. At the, at the bottom, I just put – so so at the top, I believe I put – I made sure I said city. And at the bottom, it was New Yorkers, where New York City right. in the sentence. And then later in where I sent over the topics, it was New Yorkers, meaning the entire state. So, yes, it's totally different when you're talking about the city and the entire state. But as a, as an, as a whole, yeah. the New York State – you got you to include the Bills. My, my thing with the Jets and Giants, like I, a lot of it's me buying the start because I try not to overreact to good starts. A lot of it's me buying the start. I still don't buy that the Giants and Jets are any better than, even though we just made a bet a little while ago, I'm going to say this, any better than like nine wins. Mm. Like I still feel like the Giants are going to tumble back to earth, and I don't really buy that the Jets are a nine or ten win team. So, But, uh, but you're right. On the ground – because they're so crazy in that area, and they're so crazed for football winners because it's been so friggin' dreadful lately for the Jets and Giants. Yeah. You're right. It's a massive deal. It's huge. It's huge for that whole area. Let's, let's just call it what it is. I mean, because because that whole uh, sort of, what is it, the tri-state, right? The, the I mean, just in general, up there, everybody's winning. Well, except for the Steelers. And the Mets were. The Mets were. If the Yankees go out, is it now a football town? Uh, this week, no, it'll be a baseball <laughs> town because the the pain raining down on Sports Talk Radio about the Yankees Ugh. coming up short is going to be incredible. And then, of course, they go right into freaking out about Aaron Judge and if San Fran is going to come in and pay him $50 million a year and steal him. Or maybe he doesn't want to stay. Who knows? Yeah. So, so that, that Believe me, that'll... That'll carry him for that'll carry him for months until the decision is made. You know what the original the uh, those fans are just going to have to learn to love Gerard Gallant and Ryan Reeves. How's that? Get to Madison Square Garden, see some Rangers games. I mean, the Rangers winning is a nice thing, but you realize where Rangers hockey ranks in that area, absolutely, as compared to the other uh, un- the I, other sports. You're absolutely right I mean, until May, and then all of a sudden, if they're in it, I mean, last year they made it to the Eastern Conference Final, and like I said, they're. They're one of the favorites to, to get there again, and if not, get to the Stanley Cup. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. First and goal. Mariota keeps. He's got the corner. Touchdown, Atlanta. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Fox TV with the call there. Nice job by Marcus Mariota, the former Raider. I want to talk about Mariota in about eight minutes, but let's get to a little Raiders right here directly with uh, a good conversation this morning on the press box. Amber Thea Harris was up with Tyler and Lindsay, and they were talking about the Raiders and started off the conversation just talking about where the pass rush is right now and where it ranks, if it's at the uh, bottom of the league or the middle of the league, Amber. Look, I hate to be Bill Parcells, but, like, you are what, what your ranking or your record says you are. <laughs> there are certain things the Raiders' defense does very well, um, like rushing the passer, getting pressure, quarterback hits. Clearly, Max Crosby is the best in the NFL, is tied for sacks going into, going into the bye week. Of course, he didn't have last week to get any sacks, so um, he's behind now. But uh, the problem, I think, is I think the secondary is growing. I think there's some depth that we're finding out about, that that's a positive. Um, at times, tackling can be an issue, especially tackling in open space. 
Um, so I don't know where I would rank them right now. Um, but I would definitely, I definitely think that there is a tremendous amount of upside. Um, I love the leadership that we're seeing from guys like Deron Harmon that you didn't expect in the secondary in particular. I'd love to see Denzel Perryman stay healthy because when he's out there, it's a different situation. Uh, I'm not worried about the pass rush. I think that's going to be a strength. So it's, it's a matter of kind of putting it all together for the Raiders defense. At one and four, they're going to have to go on a pretty significant run to get back into playoff contention. And the schedule does set up potentially nicely for them after the bye. But do you think they can do that with the run game being the focal point of the offense? Or are they going to have to get more out of Derek Carr in the passing game to go on a, you know, four and one, five and one type of stretch to get back into the postseason picture? I think they can't do it without the run game. I think if they think that they're going to be a pass-first team, then they will not make the playoffs. They will not get back into the playoff picture. This team, in my opinion, their identity is Josh Jacobs. When you have a running back like Josh Jacobs, it's, it's football 101. You pound the football. And what does that do? It makes you know, the opposing defenses drop a safety down. They have to account for him. It, it helps with play action. It, it opens up everything for these receivers that the Raiders have, and the Raiders have some of the best receivers in the game. I mean, if you want Devontae Adams to reach his full potential, pound the football with Josh Jacobs. And then when you're up, still pound the football. And when you're down, still run the football if it's early in the second half. I, I just think I'm so, I've been very adamant about this on every show that I go on. If you get away from that identity, it's, it's not going to work. And I know it's easy when you have a guy like Devontae Adams to say, just throw it to him. You know, all last year he had 11 targets a game with Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron would throw it into double coverage, and he made big plays, and so we don't care if he's, if, if, uh, he's in double coverage. I get that. But that doesn't work, or it helps him more when you have a run game established. And it's very hard to defend an offense that is multifaceted, but it, it, it begins and ends with Josh Jacobs. Give him the ball. We're talking with Amber Theo Harris about the Raiders running game. And just to, uh, a little bit more on Josh Jacobs, he's playing on a, on a prove it deal. They didn't pick up his fifth year option. Uh, what exactly would he have to do for production wise, not to just earn a new deal here, but command one. Uh, I mean, what he's doing <laughs> and just keep sustaining it to that level. <laughs> yeah. If you keep putting up 154 yards and, two touchdowns, one, two touchdowns a game, I'm pretty sure the, the Raiders would be thrilled to pay the man. Um, look, it, he was injured last year, and the Raiders didn't pick up uh, his fifth-year option, didn't give him a long-term deal, um, and that makes people mad, and that challenges people, and true winners respond. I've covered the game a long time. True winners respond, and they say, all right, you asked me to prove it. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to leave no doubt in your mind, and that's what Josh Jacobs is doing. I mean, I don't know – if you've ever had a chance to really sit down with Josh Jacobs, the guy is, uh, his makeup is that of a winner. He takes things as they, they come. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. I don't, think he, I don't think he got too high or low about not getting picked up. I think what he did was said, all right, I got a job to do, and I know I can do it when healthy, and he's proving that to the entire NFL right now. I mean, he's, he's been amazing. It's probably one of the most underreported stories of the NFL. Amber Theo Harris with us. Uh, so would you be willing to sit in a van for 15 hours to get from Buffalo to Kansas city to play a game like Jordan Poyer did? <laughs> um, yes, I would. If, if that was my job and look, uh, I don't think a lot of NFL players would, but I think it, it, 
separates Jordan Poyer as a competitor. Um, and look, he thought that's what he needed to do to help his team, and he did it. And you've got to give him credit. There's not a lot of NFL players that you know would say, you know, most of them are like, "Where's my private jet? You need to clear me right now," or you, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, they wouldn't have jumped into a van and, and gone 15 hours. But that was that was a really cool story over the weekend. I, I give him credit for just wanting to be there for his team and competing. If they were playing in Seattle, does he still ride in a van? <laughs> <to that kid? laughs> yeah, it's easy to be noble, right? When it's only 15 hours, but when you when you get into a you know a couple day trip, eh, I don't know, I don't know about that. He might have reconsidered at that point. <laughs> Uh, Bill O'Brien left Houston in a state of depletion, but now we're a couple years removed from his power monopoly and they haven't been great, but they've managed to keep things close, especially defensively. How are they finding success on that side of the ball and how capable are they to slow down a hopefully fully stocked Raiders offense? I, I don't think you underestimate anybody in the NFL. Let's put that out there first. And Lovey Smith is a hell of a coach. Um, he is going to put a competitive team on the field and defense is his thing. So they have to consider that. Um, that being said, the Texans aren't a good team, but that's a fact. They're just not a good football team. They still have to score points. It doesn't matter uh, how well the defense plays and maybe slowing down the Raiders' offense. They still need to score points, and that's been difficult for them. So um, I, I, I caution the Raiders and all of Raider Nation to look at these next four games and think they're going to be four wins. It's very difficult to win in the NFL. Um, luckily, the Houston Texans game is at home. And so I think this is a definitely a game that the Raiders win. But, you know, I look at things like going up against the Saints. The Saints aren't an easy out, and they're definitely not an easy out in New Orleans. You know, that's in three weeks from now. So these next four games, the Raiders should look at as an opportunity, but definitely should not be overlooking uh, these teams that have proven that they can play teams very hard and they can sneak up on you. All right, a couple of things from uh, Amber Thea Harris. Very good conversation on the press box, and good job there by both Tyler and Lindsey Brown, one of the newest additions to the on-air staff here at ESPN Las Vegas. It was interesting. The question there about what does Josh Jacobs have to do to get the next contract and get paid, and the answer was something along the lines of keep doing what you're doing. And she mentioned that true winners respond, you know, when they feel like they're burned with their contract. Jacobs has responded. So he's one of the top rushers in the NFL. He's PFF's number two running back in the league. I think he could rush for 1,200 yards and catch, I don't know, four or 500 out of the backfield. I don't think they're going to re-sign him if it's anything north of, like, nine mil a year. I don't know that there's anything he can do. I mean, I guess the pressure would be on if he rushes for, like, 1,700 yards. Do you think they're going to bring him back under any circumstances at a market value deal, market value rate? First of all, let me let me address one thing you said in, in terms of her comment, keep doing what he's doing. That means, going back to yours and my comment earlier, Josh McDaniels has to keep doing what he's doing and calling those plays because right. he can limit that at any given time. Not saying he's going to sabotage, but, you know, they, they get down to it and it doesn't look like they're going to go into the playoffs. He could very easily 10 less attempts. Eh, now all of a sudden, well, where's the production? You know, I mean, there's there's little nifty ways. Now, I'm going to throw something at you. Josh Jacobs has a season that you just said, talked about. Who's on a team-friendly deal right now where if things don't work out, he may not be coming back? Well, let's keep Josh 
and find a new quarterback. <laughs> so there's more than are they keeping Josh Jacobs on the table. We have to remember that Derek Carr is guaranteed for this season only. Yeah, and I was looking at the PFF numbers I told you about half an hour ago. I wanted to see what the update was since he didn't play this week, and we've got another just about full week of NFL play. He's 25th. the 25th-ranked quarterback in the league, so it's one of his lower numbers of his career. And, yeah, he's I, – I, I would think if he plays at that level the rest of the season, then they're going to have some thoughts about what they're going to do at quarterback. Now, their options have changed because, if you remember, one of our cohorts, Adam Hill – all over. With, with McDaniels and Ziegler in place, wanted a teardown, which yep. included moving on from Derek Carr and possibly using Mariota as the bridge to the next quarterback. Mariota's now got the Falcons at 3-3. Three and three. Yesterday he went 13-14. of 14. You know what's amazing? The amount of yards some of these teams are throwing for, are, you know, in a, in a passing era, an offensive era, he threw for 129 yards in a, in a yep. win in yep. the NFL, but he also rushed for 50 on six carries. Had a beautiful naked boot with a little fake inside. That was awesome. Was Adam Hill right that maybe they should have moved on from Carr and used Mariota for a couple of years at you know probably half the price, maybe even more than half the price as the bridge guy to the next guy? Is it easy to say that now? Is it easy, just as easy to say, okay, if they would have done that, would they have gotten Devontae Adams? You know, so um, they wouldn't have got Devontae Adams right. probably. Okay, they wouldn't have. So, what would well, they? That's, that's, would, would I mean, they if, if you're going with Mariota and it's part of a, you kind of a retooling, then you you wouldn't be interested bringing in bringing Adams anyway. Adams, You'd right. be looking for more value players and maybe try to go a little younger. With your, by the way, with your first and second round draft picks and go after an offensive lineman and maybe a cornerback. The interesting thing about the Falcons, you brought up like how many yards, how or that they, you know, what was it? Oh, Would you say 129? They are one of five teams in the NFL that has not thrown for at least 1,000 yards this season. Yet, they rank third in the NFL with 12.6 yards per completion. So it's the quality they're getting out of Mariota's throws. Uh, you sent over his number, 10 of 10. 10 attempts. Well, that was early in the game. It was just talking about oh, how he started. Early, how yeah, he it started. was like through three quarters. Yeah. He was 10 of 10, 114. Okay, so through passing, three. 114 passing yards, two touchdowns. Rushing touchdown, 51 yards. He's now, now, here's the thing. Again, just because you're winning doesn't mean that you're playing awesome football. And I know I keep going back to the PFF ratings. Uh, Mariota is actually at 21 overall amongst quarterbacks. So it's not like he's playing unbelievable. Right. He's managing games, and he's dangerous with his legs, which for the Falcons, hey, that's what they need. Well, what did, what did Amber, what did we just hear in the interview? You pound the football to create opportunity. Where's Atlanta? They rank second in attempts, rushing attempts, third in rushing yards, fourth in rushing touchdowns, Pretty crazy, huh? ninth in yards per attempt. So what does that translate into? Third in yards per completion. When they go up top and they need a pass, they go to it. But what are they doing? Pounding the football. Weird, huh? That Art Smith is running something similar. He wants a similar approach to what he did in Tennessee as the OC. And they don't have... They don't have the truck at running back, and in right. fact, their number one running back went out, um, Cordero uh, Patterson, Cordero Patterson, and now they're playing with twos and threes, and they're still moving the ball and splitting carries. So, it's working there. I don't, I don't think the Raiders have to do that. I think they have too many weapons. You know, once Waller is back, if he's back soon, Raiders can run, 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 but also be dangerous going downfield. 
car is better than Mariota. Make no mistake about it. But Absolutely. when you're talking about money distribution, salary cap management, is Derek Carr you know, that much better at $33 million a year? And Mariota, I don't even know what he signed for this year. Is it? Uh, was it like two for 28? We'll look that up. But he's, he's absolutely cheaper. Now, the other distressing thing with the Raiders today is they're getting back at it, and now they're going to have to do it without Nate Hobbs. So he went on injured reserve a little earlier today, about an hour ago. It was announced. Broken hand. Hobbs has been the second best player on this defense all year. Mm-hmm. And, and by the numbers, by PFF, he is the number two defensive player on the team. Behind, of course, Max Crosby. Yeah, and I think if if Denzel was healthy throughout, he would he he would be right up there, you know. But yeah, Matt, um, Nate has been arguably huh? their best DB. You know, I mean, he's Amik Robertson has been good, but he's he's been beaten, and he's you know there was the game what was it Jerry Judy made the little thing, and then all of a sudden he uh, the gesture that he was too short, but then he had a great. Great finish to that game. Um, the secondary has actually picked up his play, but this is going to be a huge hit. So we're going to see who's going to have to jump in there because Nate Hobbs has been scrapping since day one. And he carried over some great play from late last season into this season. And uh, that's a huge blow to that defense. So hopefully this bye week has helped them get healthy in other areas so they can, you know, play – 60 minutes of dominating football on both sides of the football against the Texans. Chips and queso or mozzarella bites for just four bucks. Five dollar Modellos and plenty of other great food and drink specials. Twin Peaks in Henderson is your spot for Monday Night Football with Cofield and Company. A tough loss tonight as the Rebels could not find their groove. Many starters were out, including starting quarterback Doug Brumfield, wide receiver Kyle Williams, and Jeff Weimer, and a surprised undisclosed absence to defensive lineman Adam Plant Jr. right before the game. We've got a lot of our key players out on both sides of the ball, and, and uh, we got to do a better job. i got to do a better job coaching and getting our guys prepared to play for next week. The Rebels could not stop the Air Force run game as they rushed for over 400 yards and punched it in for six touchdowns. The way that they run their offense, it's a machine, and you know they're not going to make a lot of mental errors and a lot of mental mistakes. They're going to be exactly where they're supposed to be. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. That was a uh, UNLV-generated report, Rebel Report, with that up on Twitter. You heard Austin Ajake, and the voice at the beginning should be familiar to you, Willie. You're big fans of the Thomas family. That was Jay Thomas oh, serving yeah. as a reporter. Nice. Pretty she's cool. In, she's in that Rebel Report program. She, she did a good job. Yeah, she's awesome. Jade, Bailey, Sam. Not, a, wish, whole, not, not a whole I, lot of highlights to I, recap I was just gonna for say, UNLV. I was just going to say, she may be biding her time for the Lady Rebels so she could go out and cover her former team. By the way, Molly Sullivan running the program there. You know Molly, right? I do. Long-time broadcaster. Mm-hmm. So the Rebel game was not a good result at all. I thought they'd be better. I they lost too. 42-7. They lost in very similar fashion to what happened a year ago. They lost 48-14 last year, so that's 90-21 in back-to-back years against Air Force. Air Force runs a triple option if they have to. But on Saturday, they ra- they basically ran one option. They got outside early and got a long touchdown. 
on a couple of pitches outside of the offensive line. But the rest of the game was just dive play, dive play, dive play, dive play. And this kid, Brad Roberts, is good. He's good. He's um, He had 29 carries in three quarters. I think coming in, he was like seventh in the country in carries. And they just rode him, and UNLV could not stop him. And it was basically straight up the gut. You know, we were just talking about quarterback sneaks, the Kelsey brothers. Uh, Jason Kelsey, the center of the Eagles, was saying, hey, the, you know, the, the quarterback sneak on fourth and one or, four, you know, whatever. Whatever down and short is a virtually guaranteed play. And it's funny, during the game, Caleb Herring, who was very salty, very salty, but, you know, he's calling an honest game. He likened what they were doing to a quarterback sneak because the Rebels went to a different front. They tried to play more of a 4-3 instead of a 3-4, and they didn't have anyone on the center for much of the game. They made some adjustments in the second half, but Roberts basically got the ball and was untouched for the first three or four yards. And as a result, you want to to hear about tackling numbers? Austin Ajake had 20 tackles in the game. He's one of the linebackers in the middle. And he he had a couple tackles outside, too. He was chasing guys all over the place. Darius Johnson, one of the defensive linemen, played 48 plays. He recorded 16 tackles in 48 plays. But unfortunately, that Roberts dive up the middle, it was good for, it seemed like, three or four yards right out of the gates. And if they had a bigger push, it went for eight or ten yards, and they just never figured it out. We knew that was going to be an issue, right, coming in. How are they going to stop Air Force's attack, as you mentioned, whether it's a triple option or not? The bottom line is the rushing defense, it's, it's somewhat been. And a, you get my point on the triple option. They didn't yeah. have to use no, the I other know. parts. Of, right, like, right, it was right. just one well, option yeah, to it was dive. just only one option. And that's because, I mean, it's been one of the question marks, as well as the defense has been playing, is like, what can it, can it stop anything? The part that was disheartening was it just – this. Same with last week, and I think losing Doug Brumfield last week, you know, it, it deflated the team mid-game. But this one, it looked like that deflation carried over. Like, they just didn't look like themselves, a team that came out ready, fired up. It did not look like the team that we've seen the first five weeks. I did not see that same energy, that same vibe. Does Doug Brumfield's presence or lack thereof have that big of an impact where the team didn't have the same energy, the same vibe. If you remember, at the post-game press conference where Adam got shut out at the at the last, we were, we were there Adam late. Hill, yeah. And I said, I asked Adam Plant, I was like, man, you look like a different person from warm-ups in. The, just the fire, the energy. Steve, just watching on the field. I was on the field, I did a TV spot, and then... Just kind of watching, just warm. It just had a different vibe. Did you get that last week, like leading up to it, practices, whatever it may have been? Because it just didn't seem like this team no. had the same confident energy. No. I wasn't at practice last week, so that's first off. But on the field, it yeah, it felt different in terms of the vibe. Uh, Plant was announced. I mean, I think they knew about Plant late yeah. in the week that he wasn't going to play. But, you know, we found out a little bit before the game. That's one of their better defensive players. And... They went to the the 4-3 look, and they played a lot of guys who hadn't played a whole lot this year, which was interesting. Jerry Williams coming in, I think, was third on the team in plays, and he only got in, I think, 22 or 23. So they elected to go with some other players. They elected to try to go with a bigger front. And 
There's something. It, it be- didn't work, but the, the energy on both sides of the ball was different. Yeah. The O line was fired up. Like I, I went down. I mean, it was like twenty-one nothing, and you could feel it was rolling the wrong way. And and Davion McDaniel, who's generally he's a left tackle, he's generally not a loud guy. I mean, he was he wasn't out of control, but he was saying to guys, "He's like, we got to do something, or this is going to turn into a blowout." Like he was getting he was getting fired up. Um, but the, but there, there's help. well, you know what's funny? And I asked Arroyo this today. Again, I, I like to reference PFF because they look at especially offensive line. We're not sitting there reviewing all the ins and outs of the offensive line. You know that there are six guys up front, including the tight end, Willie? Mm-hmm. Five of the six were actually some of their highest-rated players on the day. And, like, their numbers were actually pretty decent. It wasn't like everyone stunk and they just happened to be the best of really bad numbers. Uh, McDaniel had a good game. Amani Trigg right was fine. He's the right guard. The left, ha- or left guard, Preston Nichols, was good. Tiger Shanks was good. The tight end, Shelton Zeon. Got a good uh, got a good uh, rating from PFF, and I asked Arroyo this morning. I was like, "Okay, so what happened? Your O line played well, and he just he just said it. He's like turnovers. He's like you can't turn over the ball right. that many times. And by the way, if you follow me at Steve Cofield or at UNLV All Access, which is where we do a lot of the hardcore UNLV stuff, the guys who finished dead last in terms of ratings for the game on offense were Harrison Bailey and Cam Friel. Which spe- did, did, did they do special teams? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Why do you need to know about special teams? You want to know about Ryan O'Hara and his kickoffs? They just looked shoddy <laughs> as well. I, I, I just, yeah. I just didn't, I just wasn't feeling. But do you, it. Do, you, do you get, you get, yeah. you get no, the I point see, here I that heard, the quarterbacks, yeah. quarterbacks, quarterbacks yeah. did not. And the funny thing is, Cam Friel had one of the weirdest games ever. He went eight of ten, but it was eight of ten with two fumbles and an interception. Yep. And I thought the one fumble, you know. It's a ball security deal, but he did get kind of folded in half on a crazy blitz. The fumble that he gave up on the first drive, thats you, you can't do that. You can't get stood up and then get stripped. And then the INT he threw was just – it was late. The guy in the middle of the field, and he, and he threw it late. So they go into this week, Willie, with – I think Brumfield, I would still say – I'm just guessing on this because it's a concussion. I think he's probably doubtful. But there's a couple of reasons. We don't know about the deal with the concussion. The other thing is, he's got an ankle. He's not 100% on the ankle. So now you got to take two things into account. Do you bring him back, coming off a concussion, and if he's not 100% running the ball and moving around? And then on top of that, then we've got the battle for who's going to be quarterback this week. Because going into last week, I didn't think it was much of a contest. Frill was going to start over Harrison Bailey. Now I don't know what they're going to do. If Brumfield can't go... Maybe it's Harrison Bailey who gets the shot coming out. Well, I really hate to say this because it's not fair to it's not fair to the Rebels. It's not fair to Marcus Arroyo, but I think at some point you have to look at you know with how the team's been playing and the injuries it's incurred. Are they going to go in and beat Notre Dame? Do you want to do you want to force Brumfield back? Or do you just decide who's going to start, ride with it, hope that they compete as best they can, and then hope Brumfield's back for the trip to San Diego? Because I really think that this is a point where – because then they got a bye week to, to also to get healthier. And I, I think that you can't risk it. If you, if you accept the fact that it's a long shot to win with Brumfield or not – a hobbled Brumfield that it is. If they were 100% healthy, it's different. But I just don't know if you risk the injury – 
get him healthy in time, get the bye week, get him healthy, and then you go into, you know, your last four games. Join Cofield and company on Thursdays for the live 2-5 to five show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77-cent beers. It's Thursday Night Football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. Stevenson, the running back. And the call. And the driving block inside. Owenu leads the way. It opens the door. And Stevenson is in for six on his second rushing touchdown today. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Patriots get it done yesterday. Kevin Harlan on the call. I'll tell you, one of the best interviews each week now on Sports Talk Radio is on our sister station, 1340 and 98.9 FM, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Heard talks to Sean Payton, the former Saints coach. It is such an awesome conversation. I want you to listen to this convo where he talks about the Bengals and how the Saints blew the game. He's very honest about his former team, the Saints. But this is what I love. At the beginning here, Sean Payton discusses how he needs this in the media to be able to talk football because he misses the game already. And he talks about, like, even Mondays, Sean Payton with the herd, talking about Mondays are just insane. Mondays are – the sky's falling Monday today around the league. <laughs> Mondays are sky's falling Monday. Players are injured. Yeah. You're working guys out. You're coming off a loss. Even if you've won, the sky's falling. You put that game – it wasn't as good. The tape wasn't as good as you thought. And it's just ah, stressful Tuesday, your game plan, and Wednesday, Thursday. And so the hours and the interaction with people um, is, is – there's just a ton of it. And when that all stops and it's quiet and you're doing the Sunday show on Fox and, and you know, do the kickoff show right. and the next show, and, like, I'm telling you, I lay out my clothes – Saturday night. I can't wait <laughs> to go to work Sunday. And it's 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 not that I, I don't enjoy free time, but it's like interaction with football. And so then it's like, hey, there's a group that wants you to come on Monday to talk football. Yeah, where? <laughs> I'd love to. And so like kick me off when it's time to go. But I, it, this is what you miss, though. Um, you miss interaction, discussion, because when it all stops and there's no itinerary and there's no timeline and there's no one on the nine o'clock hour for you and there's no one on the 930 block and you're just at home with your thoughts and your workout schedule and your food and your dogs and your wife or whatever, it, it, it changes. Uh, and, and that's a big change. So we talked about this during the break, and so I'm going to kind of cut through it. So uh, you have you know everything about the Saints and their personnel. So there was a moment yesterday at the end of the game. So I think Burrow and Jamar Chase are just different. They played in college together. Yeah. I mean, literally, Joe went to the front office and said, draft him, and they needed O-line help. And so you get to the end of the game, and Dennis Allen, the defensive coach, has that Saints defense. And they brought they brought some people on Yeah, them. yeah. And so it's a really interesting because it was a very close game, and I'm not sure how you defend them but the Saints kind of went for it, yeah, and they got right. burned. Yeah, and look, so there's that moment in the game where, the look, the Saints are punting, and they're going to have to defend one more possession. I, right. I don't know how much time's left, but I know we're, we're at that two-minute mark, inside two minutes, 
And look, the first thing, and, and the punter for New Orleans is a good young punter, but this thing goes Charlie Brown off his foot. It does. And, and it goes 20-some yards. And there's nothing worse as a coach. or There's nothing more deflating when you punt the ball from your end and the ball sails over your bench area. <laughs> You're not used to that. You're used to looking to your right, not up. Right. And so Shanks the punt. The ball now for Cincinnati's at midfield. Field goal here, I think, ties. And I know what Dennis was thinking. He, he was thinking, let's let's – Create a minus play on first down. Push them back. Push them back. Let's pressure on first down and then play coverage maybe on second and third down. Cincinnati gets into a three-by-one formation. We were just talking about this. And so when, when you get into a lot of these trips formations, you'll see quarterbacks throw to the passing strength, to the three-receiver side right. with route combinations right. whenever there's a, a soft zone coverage. But the minute that soft zone changes, and, and whether it's single safety, man-to-man, um, three-deep coverage, or in that case yesterday, pressure, the X is, is, is your outlet. So Burrow knew exactly it, where to go. He knew, and I was watching it live, and as soon as I saw the pre-snap look, I said to myself, this ball's coming to chase. It's the number one and easiest thing to teach a quarterback. Is get when it. you get pressure on a three to one, three receivers, one three side. to one, it's going to the one. Always goes to the one. Yeah, and that's why you put Chase as the one. That, that's why you have uh, Mike Thomas as the or one. Stephon that's Diggs. why you have Stefan yeah. Diggs. That's why you have. So you've got to be very careful defensively when you take that weak safety off of help of the corner. And so if, if the common fan was watching and they saw a trip set and they saw cover two, there's a lot of times that ball's going to be worked to the strong side in a combination right. pattern. and But when that shell breaks, and it did when, the, when they pressured yesterday, Boom. here it was back at LSU, and the last time those two threw completion together was in the national championship game against Clemson in that same stadium. And I've said this about Brian Dable. Um, I think his creativity and his ingenuity in the red zone with some limitations on the O-line and receivers, sure. I can see the coaching. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, similarly with Robert Sala, takeaways, passion, it's almost college. I can see the coaching. Yep. I get concerned, Matt LaFleur, when I'm like, okay, this is year four. You're not running the ball well enough. The special teams have regressed. I'm not seeing it. Now, some of it's just personnel. But it's interesting with Denver tonight. So now you've got you've had an extra time, extra day. Um, they haven't rolled the pocket enough, in my opinion. They're not playing to Russell's strengths. If they don't again, like a prime example, what if Russell's saying, Coach, I want to throw it from the pocket. Where's the line with a star quarterback saying, Russ, we got to do things. Do you think there's a push and pull in that Denver well, situation? I, I don't think it's push and pull, but I, I think there's – look, I can't speak for another locker room, another relationship – but all the time, Drew and I would discuss, hey, well, at the end of the week on Saturday, we'd be at the hotel, we'd finish the team meeting, finish the offensive meeting. The last thing we'd do before game day Sunday would be a dot meeting where we'd go through you know, the, the plays in each section. It, let's talk about the play action pass. I, I want to know your, your top three now after the week's finished. And I'd Sharpie these three. And I want to call those plays that he likes. You put it on your chart. Those yeah, are the I, three. I just take a Sharpie. The chart's already made up. Yeah. And I, I would dot those as plays he likes. And then I always wanted to know, hey, is there something you didn't like? 
And periodically, not often, but periodically, he might say, hey, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't feel like we got a good enough look with that this week. And I just put a line through it. We have plenty of plays, plenty of offense. So let's find the ones that he likes. At the beginning of the week, in the early part of the week that you're discussing, and there's interaction between the quarterback and the coordinator or the quarterback and the head coach if he's the coordinator, you know, there's this discussion as to how we want to play this defense and then what what we want to do or put in. And and so let's say we all had a new idea here and, and we liked it. And and the tomorrow morning we gave it to whoever our quarterback was, then we'd want to set up the look in practice where it simulated the Chargers defense and and you want to get a rep or two where you're like, ah, I see it. It feels good. I like it. You know, and that's that's kind of the thing that goes on during the week when when you're putting in something different or new. Yeah, do I think there's there's give and take? Absolutely. Drew would come in, he'd say, I really like this play. And I'd say, Oh, we'll put it in then. We'll put it in. I'll call it. And when there's ownership with something like that, boy, they find a way to make it work. <laughs> that's right. You with me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah, oh, it works. And and the other way around, when when I really love something more than he does, <laughs> and it doesn't go well, like he'll turn and look at you in the sideline, and you're like, "Come on, really?" <laughs> but no, I think it's that's healthy back and forth. I just don't know where Hackett and Russ would be relative to. Sure. To that relationship. So when you watch Dable, again, I'm just an everyman. When you watch Dable. You what, see it and feel it. Oh, I can absolutely. His situational. Um, he's using some tricks down there telling me my personnel has got some limitations. I'm going to do a lot of. He's using a lot of tricks. Uh, jet sweeps, reverses, um, misdirection. But I got to tell you, most of it's working. Well, here's what I saw also. We're at the end of the game. There's a minute and four, minute 20 something left. Um, they want to get a first down. Barkley's going to score, but he slides. He slides, right? Right at the end of the game, he downs himself at the three-yard line. Clocks, the very next play, they're on a knee. And it's what we didn't see Cleveland do That's right, earlier. four weeks ago. Yep. And, and so obviously, that's something you practice. You know, we call it down-down, or we call it Miller time. Miller time is one more first down, and we're all having a beer. Yep. All right, it's Miller time. So we don't want to score. All right, time is of the essence. And so here's a, a, a young player still, I think, with Barkley. Sure. Breaking through the line of scrimmage. He gets the first down. He's going to score. Now everyone who had him in fantasy is throwing their yep. chips at the TV. <laughs> but he did the right thing. He slid. And the very next play, they were in victory on a knee, and they secured the win. But we saw Cleveland score there. And you might think, well, how's that going to – well, they kick off. The opponent scores onside kicks and scores again, meaning you just extended the game uh, and New York closed the so game So you out. like them buying into the coach? It, well, it's a clear sign of situational football, and it's, it's, it's a sign of smart football. And so when you see that all happen and unfold the way it's supposed to and their sidelines excited, and it, it's, it's, it's good coaching. There he is, Sean Payton over on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas. That's become a, a really, really good spot. He's getting pretty polished, and his behind-the-scenes stuff is awesome, Willie. Uh, real quick, before we get to the 4 o'clock hour, you hear the conversation there describing uh, Hackett and Russell Wilson and also talking about Drew Brees and what Sean Payton did. You think Derek Carr and McDaniels are sitting down and they kind of go over stuff like that, like, hey, I like this play, I don't like this play. Are they working in that kind of harmony? Per yet? Carr, they, they've been doing that, yes. Per car. Right. 
<laughs> I wonder. Because that's where you want to get to. You want to get to the relationship that Drew Brees had with Sean Payton because that thing freaking worked, and it worked at a super high level. Another hour on the way. Monday Night Football is coming up. Broncos and Chargers here at Twin Peaks on Eastern.